Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. you know here we are oh minnesota i tried is that what am i correct with that (laughs) i tried that's good Mm -hmm. (laughs) hello yeah well close enough yes you did amazing thank you how are you feeling i'm feeling good um this has been a fun week for me good stay tuned for the good thing you'll know why yeah i guess i guess plant a little seed yeah see if you guys stay tuned seed yeah not the extra like story in between the like main part of our show (laughs) right exactly (laughs) this is what i'm here for stay tuned for the most important part the part that's about us guys yes Um, it's all about the only thing you would care about uh (laughs) no um what's what's new with me uh uh, well, I got a, a haircut this week that I kind of thought made me look like the little lad who loves berries and cream. But, but... I would like to say that you looked great. Thanks. And I thought it was it looked really nice. Well, thank you. I was like genuinely shocked. I was like, well, okay, that is a terrible way to set it up. But <laughs> I like meaning it looked good. Yes, like, I, I appreciate it. I was surprised it. how good it looked. Am I digging a hole for myself? I mean, a little bit. I appreciate it. Do I don't. You, I'm not taking offense. Do you offense. understand what I'm trying to convey? I'm honestly getting more amusement out of it than anything. It's kind know. of funny to <laughs> watch feel, you get flustered. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> good. I feel like I put my feet into a pool that progressively gets deeper, but started out in one feet and then jumped out to the side. That's okay. That's how I felt. But um, let's. It was a. It looked really good. Thank you. It was you. a really good haircut. <laughs> Okay, cool. What else do we have going on? Oh, uh, just wanted to give a quick reminder. Next week, we are going to be reading some ghost stories. So please send them in if you have them. Your true ghost stories. Send them to our email or like you can DM them to me on Instagram. That's totally fine. But we really want to read your ghost stories on air. So if you have one, please send them. We already have a couple really cool ones and I'm excited about next week. So please send them in if you have them. And yeah, also we have some cool, fun things in the works, so that's exciting. I guess we won't really drop too much information about it until it's ready, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's... What? <laughs> we also don't know how long it's going to take yeah, us I to do. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right, that's enough about that, but let's... We're trying. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, jeez. We're just two people trying our best over here, aren't we? Don't you know? Exactly. All right. What the hell are we talking about today? What the hell Jump are in. we talking about? Let's start by talking about my sources. I got a lot of my information from a couple articles. Uh, one of them was cucumberlink.com. It was written by an article written by Melissa Nan Burke for York Daily Record Sunday News. And I'm not going to say the titles of these articles right now just because it'll totally give away everything. So bear with me. Um, another article was from ssristories.org written by Teresa Ann Bowick. And of course, the popular show I Survived. What shows that? Never heard of her before. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, this episode was also the same episode that Jennifer Mori was a part of, which is exciting because we already talked about her story. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, she was the uh, woman who had her apartment broken into by the security guard. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's somewhere in the back. Go look for it. It's <laughs> but, before this one. Yeah, it's before this one. <laughs> but uh, quite the banger of an episode, if yep. you ask me. Yeah, I really, really did it. Yeah. So I guess let's get into it. Um, But before we talk about the main event, we're going to start by talking about Winterstown, Pennsylvania specifically. And so Winterstown, Pennsylvania is a borough of York County, 
Pennsylvania, located about 75 miles west of Philadelphia. And as of 2010, their population was 632. It's a lot a, of people. Yeah. What? No. Yeah, a lot of people, you know? That's like a high school class of one year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people. I graduated with that many people. Yeah. It's a very small rural community. One of the main reasons the town uh, exists, and I hope I'm not offending anyone at this point, is that it's the largest stopping place between the railroad and the agricultural market towns of Red Lion and Stewartstown on what is now Route 24. So you'd think a place like this wouldn't have much going on, but actually for a place this small, Winterstown, as far as I know, only has two pieces of pretty notable history and both of them are surprisingly dark. So before we jump into our main event, I wanna take us back to 1928. Wilbert Hess, John Curry, and John Blymeyer murdered Nelson Rymeyer after they had suspected he was a witch and was using black magic. In the 20s? Mm-hmm. The trio of John Blymeyer, John Curry, and Wilbert Hess set out to Rymeyer Hollow on the evening of November 27th. However, Nelson's body wasn't discovered until the 29th, which was Thanksgiving of 1928. He was lying on the floor, face down, partially burned, with his head resting on a block of kindling wood with a piece of rope around his neck which is very sad. Um, They believed killing him would break his spells. And although this occurred around Thanksgiving time, it's also associated with Halloween because of the whole witchcraft thing. So I kind of found this very interesting that this tiny town has like kind of just these two main events that's happened and- And like nothing else. Yeah. And also it was kind of related to Halloween. So I was like, bingo, October. Okay. <laughs> spooky season. <laughs> spooky. Not to make light of Murders this horrible spooky. murder, but... Yeah. I don't um, know. It's so strange. Like, yeah, that's a fucked up way to go. Yeah, very but sad. they believed in witchcraft in the, ni- the late 1920s. I guess, yeah. Like, I don't know. There's cars, right? Mm. Yeah, At this I guess. point. Yeah. And you're still... We're still on the witch thing. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, they were into black right. magic. But the three men did serve time in prison for murdering Nelson. I don't think it was very much time. I think the maximum one of them served was 10 years. And two of them, yeah, and two of them didn't even serve their full terms. So 10 years Mm -hmm. for participating in a murder. Yeah. So this tiny town in Pennsylvania is known for this murder. And then the story that we're going to talk about next, which takes place on February 2nd, 2001. 41-year-old Norina Benzel was the school principal at North Hopwell Winterstown Elementary School, and that morning she was in her office and she remembered looking at her clock and seeing that the time was 11.23 a.m. It was about the time that Norina would have gone down to the cafeteria to calm the crowd of rowdy students, but for some reason that morning something felt different. She recalls having the strong urge to make a phone call, which was very atypical for her. She said being the principal of an elementary school, it doesn't leave you with very much time to be making any random phone calls during your day. But for some reason, she picked up her phone and called her babysitter and asked to speak with her son. He was getting ready for kindergarten at the time, which made the phone call even more like atypical that, you know, because he was getting ready for kindergarten and she was busy. But so he was getting ready for kindergarten and and she told him that she hoped that he had a great day and she loved him. And that's really all she wanted to say. I don't like where this is going. Right. Continue. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like every every story starts out and we're like, I don't like where this is going. And I it's know, always well, like you set well. it up where you're like the last thing she said to her son was, I love you. And <laughs> well, then she hung up. That is. <laughs> knowing not what was going to happen, but just knowing that she loved him. Like That's true. Yeah. Something's happening to this poor kid. Well, not to the kid. Oh, that, that's I can, good. I can tell you that. Not to the kid. That's good. Not to that kid. Well, oh God. Okay, okay. let's keep going. All right. So, uh, so she hung up with the phone with her five-year-old son. And... As Norina was hanging up the phone with her son, she looked out the window of her office and saw that there was a man who was tugging at the handle of the right door, which was highly unusual because the right door was permanently locked. So nobody ever used that door, nor could they. And to Norina, he looks like a, a grandfather. So it was possible that he, you know, he was a grandfather of one of the students that had never been to the school before and didn't know that this door was permanently locked. And so he was just attempting attempting to open this door. So she decided that she needed to leave the office to go help him. But before she got the chance to help the older man, a parent with a security pass swiped their card and em- entered the school and he followed in right behind them. But Norina at this point had left her office with the intention of finding this man to help him through the doors. So she didn't see the parent swipe in this man. So she's on her way to help him inside the building. But when she gets to the lobby, she doesn't find him anywhere. So she starts looking around to see if she can spot where this random man has walked off into her elementary school. And as she turned around, she looks down the hallway to the left and saw him standing in the hallway outside of the door of a kindergarten classroom. And he was standing there kind of peeking inside. Obviously, Norina decides to approach him, but as she did, he was startled because he didn't expect anyone to come up behind him. But she said, excuse me, sir, is there something I can help you find? He immediately turned to her and started digging around the left side of his stomach area under his shirt and almost instantly pulled out from his left pant leg a machete. A machete? Yep. Uh, what the fuck? Like this? Who the fuck has a machete? In why an would elementary a, school. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously up to no good, but like, why? Uh, why that? Not a gun. I don't know. He, like, it doesn't even make sense from his perspective. Well, so he actually did attempt. We'll talk about this later, I guess, but he did attempt to buy a gun on his way to the elementary school, but the clerk at the store did a background check on him, and he was like, you're not going to get a gun today. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah, and so he wasn't allowed to get a gun that day, so he settled on a machete. Clearly mentally unstable. 100,000%. Yes. So this man pulls out a machete in the middle of a elementary school hallway in front of a kindergarten classroom. Okay, just to set the scene again for the people in the back. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And not only did he pull out this machete in front of Norina in the hallway, but he started striking her over and over. And while this is happening, the two of them are moving back down the hallway the way they came because, you know, as he's coming at her and hitting her, she's obviously stumbling backwards. Wait, is he hitting her with like the sharp edge? Yes. Oh. He's, so he's, he's stabbing her. Well, he's not like stabbing, but he's hitting. He's like, you know, it's a machete. Gotcha. You kind of whack with a machete. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't say a single word as this was happening. He just repeatedly struck her with this machete. Oh, that's fucking eerie. Yes. Insanely eerie. Narina must have been in complete shock 
because at this point it hadn't even registered that he was hitting her with a machete. She said she doesn't even recall feeling any fear whatsoever and she doesn't remember feeling any pain. The only thing she was sure was that he seemed intent on wanting to hurt her. So she knew it was a very bad situation, but everything was happening very quickly. Yeah. And I mean, how can you, I mean, you think you're ha- helping a grandpa and the next thing you know, you're getting sliced by a machete. Yeah. This was how she explained her experience after the fact, but in the moment it could have been very different. You know, she could have been scared or she could have, you know, it, her mind could have blocked out the actual experience because it was too traumatic. But, you know, from what she was saying in the I Survived episode, she was like, I didn't feel fear. I didn't feel pain. You know, it was so that maybe that actually did happen. I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty amazing that she didn't feel either of those. I know. Like, some evolutionary shits going on because i can i can kind of understand the not feeling the pain thing because when like immense trauma like that happens like a lot of time people don't yeah, your feel adrenaline's the, yeah. going and but like the fear no, yeah no fear yeah i don't know i mean i'm not i'm not trying to say that she didn't have that but it's just kind of crazy yeah but in the struggle she did manage to scream no she called out no and then she said she screamed out call 911 and she screamed out lockdown she couldn't believe that someone would do something like this in an elementary school. <laughs> like, who could believe that? But she really felt that in this moment that she was just alone in this, that it was just this man and her. It didn't feel like there was anyone else around that could help her. By that time, the two had made it back down the hallway and they were in front of the office again. In the doorway to the office, the man cut across Norina's stomach with the machete. But thankfully, she was wearing a key card around her neck, which helped stop the machete with making contact with her stomach. No way. Yeah, which is ironic because every time you wear a keychain around your neck, I'm always, I always call you a freshman. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? It could save your life. It's protective. <laughs> exactly. At this point, she had deep defensive cuts on her arms and hands, but she was still going. So she's really doing the damn thing. And after attempting to cut her stomach, the man ran from Norina back down the hallway. And as he ran away, she went into the office to put her school into lockdown as quickly as possible because, you know, she wants everyone to lock their doors immediately. Because at this point, she's definitely hurt and can't stop a machete-wielding man by herself. And the next step is to alert the entire school that something is very wrong and to lock your doors. Have you ever gone through a school lockdown before? Like when like you were a in like real one? when you were not like a real one, but like a drill when you were in like oh, middle yeah. school or elementary school or every level. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously went to school after this type of shit happened. Yeah. I was going to say we were, we were after the fact where like school shootings and like things like that became like normal commonplace, yeah. which is insanely yeah, terrifying. Fucked up, but you know, it's like, well, you know, if it does happen, here's what you're going to do. And Jimmy, you're going to shut the fuck up for once in your life. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I remember like having lockdown drills in like middle school and being absolutely terrified, like fully knowing it was a drill, like all the teachers telling us it was a drill and it was totally fine but we had to like hide in the corner and be quiet and like lock the doors and then like the principal would come and like jiggle the door handle and it was always just like my heart would pound and it was yeah even when it's terrifying yeah and then i remember you know i mean we're all kids so like people would be like joking what if it isn't a drill no they would be like making noise like making fart noises and i'm like i not the time (laughs) kids are the worst i remember like if i die because 
somebody made a fart noise like yeah i mean it's it's nothing to joke about it's just it's really not but i do actually remember there was one i like vaguely remember because it happened when i was in elementary school i think but there was like a false alarm lockdown um where they kind of made everyone do that and they were like this is not a drill Mm. And um, I think it ended up being a false alarm of some sort. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were. I was like in fourth or fifth grade, I think. But I just remember like it actually being real. Yeah, it's really scary. Thankfully, she was able to sound the alarm bell, which put the school into lockdown mode. Narina also knew that most of her teachers had cell phones and she had told them that if the school ever went into lockdown that they should get on their cell phones and could call emergency services. So several teachers around the school were on their cell phones calling 911, not even knowing what was happening at this point. The first call to 911 came in at 11.32 a.m. And two minutes later, a woman hiding in the principal's office behind a locked door with two children inside with her called 911 and told them about the attacker and that she was barricaded in the office with children, which was good because at least this person was able to give emergency services actual information about what was going on. Um, and it wasn't just like, hey, we're in lockdown and I'm yeah, not sure what's happening. Blind. Yeah, so at least the police is now alerted. But at this point, the man was able to actually make it into a room before everything was successfully locked. And he unfortunately made it into a kindergarten classroom. I want to I want to say right now, no children die in this story. <laughs> That is good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was like, oh God. We're gonna, we're not, just gonna lay it out. Right now. Yeah, we're gonna lay it out right now. There are no, no deaths in this story. That's good. As far as that goes. Yeah. But he terrorized them. And as he came in, he used the back of his weapon to bang on the table to make loud noises to scare the children, which then turned into him directly striking the children. But he used the back of the machete, which I believe meant that it wasn't the sharp edge, but still, you know, force. So it's... He's it's, like whacking them with the flat side. Yeah, still injuring them, definitely. Yeah. But I think it wasn't like... Cutting what the them? fuck is wrong with you? Like, what is... How does somebody come to this point? I have no idea. This is, like, pure evil. <laughs> like, I don't even understand how I you can... I can't even begin to. No. Yeah, it's like, how do you walk into a kindergarten classroom and look at a bunch of five and six-year-olds and start Who hitting... Who are terrified. Like, a machete? Like, any weapon. Like, what? But, yeah, when the teacher realized what was happening, she put herself in between the man and the children... What do you mean when she realized what was happening? Because she had no idea what was happening. It's not like Norina went over the loudspeaker and was like, a man with a machete is in the building. She just put the school in lockdown, but before the lockdown happened, the man came into the kindergarten classroom. So this teacher may not even have realized that this man came into the room until the kids started like screaming when he was like hitting at them. Yeah, I mean, we don't have like all the information like specifically from this moment because like we don't have the teacher side of the thing of the story. But she put herself in between the children and this man. And then, you know, she starts taking cuts to, you know, her arms and stuff because she's putting her arms up and she's getting defensive wounds from trying to block her head from getting cut. And she told the children to run. And in a place where they're constantly telling children not to run in a school, you know, they're telling kids to walk in a single file line and be on your best behavior. The children were very confused and also stunned and obviously terrified. So I can't even imagine the chaos and fear. And so 
the kids didn't even end up running. Some of them didn't end up running. They just, you know, clung to their teacher because she was their security. Right. Some of them hid under tables in their classroom. Some of them ran into the hallway and down the hallway. Some of them ran completely out of the school. So it was absolute pandemonium. (laughs) Yeah. That poor teacher and those poor children. Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I know. To, like, get in between. Yeah. I mean... Teachers are not paid enough, man. Yeah, not for that shit. Goddamn. Jesus. But yeah, she she saved lives. For yeah, sure. risked her life and yeah. really just, wow. And many of the children had bruises all over their bodies and on their heads and their backs and on their legs and arms because, you know, they're just running all over the place. And some of them were, you know, hit, hit with, with a machete. machete. Yeah. Norena said the only thing she recalls is their screams over and over again. She said to this day, when kids are screaming, she kind of is shocked back to that moment. And the other kids in the school whose classrooms were locked at this point and didn't really even know what was going on, just heard screaming coming from the hallway. One 12-year-old recalled that from her sixth grade classroom, she heard screaming and crying, and she told a reporter, she said, I think it was a teacher, maybe, which is just eerie as well. Oof. Norina, who had run back into the hallway, did her best to gather as many kids as she could that were running around the hallway to put them into the nurse's office as quickly as possible. And she believes that her motherly instinct really kicked in, and the only thing she wanted to do was keep these kids safe. About that time, the kindergarten teacher also came rushing into the office area with a bunch of her kindergarten students around her, and she propped herself up against the door as her kids ran screaming into the office. That alone was chaos, but the man with the machete was chasing directly behind them with his machete raised at them to do more damage. As this teacher and Norina quickly got the kids into the office and attempted to shut the door, The man got there too and brought down his machete on the door and got his arm and the machete down through the opening of the door. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So not only could they not get it closed, but through his rage, he also managed to pry the door open. Oh my God. So his arm was sticking through the door as they're trying to shut it. Yeah. And then he pushes it open. Oh, I was like... I was like hoping like just like smash his arm, get that no, machete. I know. And the, and they've got, you know, however many five and six year olds in the office with yeah. them. And when he got into the room with them, he went in on Norina for a second time. So now this is the second time she's been attacked with the machete. He was in a complete rage and she said that she knew that he wanted to kill her. She knew she needed to defend her head, but all she had was her hands, so she put them in a crisscross position above her head. In each strike, he was hitting her arms, and Norina was bleeding very heavily at this point. Although this was terrible, the other teacher managed to quietly lock the children safely in the office bathroom, so at least the kindergartners were safe. So that's a plus. Big plus. Yes. For whatever reason, for a moment, he turned away from Norina, and she took that opportunity to scream to the other teacher, help me get him down, and she jumped on his back. No way. Oh, yeah. She's a G. Norina... This is a mama bear of, like... Epic proportions. Yes. (laughs) Yes. She saw his face right at hers as she, like, went to jump on him because he began to turn back at her. But she had already jumped on him and wrapped him in a bear hug and pinned him over a desk. No way. Yes. At which point she heard a clink on the ground, which meant that he had dropped his weapon. 
Norina, oh, it's on, motherfucker. Yeah. Norina, who was thinking incredibly clearly for someone losing so much blood, was thinking about how her need was to keep him pinned and get what he had dropped and keep it away from him. Also, just a quick side note, Norina is 5'2". How tall is this dude? I don't know how tall he is exactly, but bigger than 5'2". Yeah. 5'2 is small. Dude, amen, Marina. Yeah, I'm 5'6". Like, that's a little lady in a bear hug. Like, goddamn. She managed to wrestle him to the ground, and as that happened, another teacher grabbed his weapon and had hidden it during the struggle. After she had jumped on his back, all of the life had kind of drained out of him, and he had moved from in front of the desk where they were initially you know, standing to now he was sitting in a chair about three steps away. He didn't try to run or move from the chair. And Norina said she felt the energy in him drain completely after she had subdued him, which was a feeling she had never felt in her her life and has never felt since, but it was the most amazing feeling. And at this point, she was able to talk to him and told him to relax and calm down because it was over. And she recalls that he was kind of in a state of confusion. So I don't know if he was in like a very extreme manic state and he was very just severely mentally ill. And, you know, I don't know what happened with this man, but he, after being subdued, like calmed down, which is very confusing. Yeah, that's so confusing to me. He was in like a fit of rage. Yeah. And as soon as she pinned him, he just gave up after all that. I guess as soon as they like got his weapon away from him, he was like, what do I do now? Yeah. But if we couldn't already tell that Norina is a G because she was able to stay calm during all of this, she also saw all of her injuries and they were not cute. Not cute. She was pretty much sitting in a pool of her own blood and her pinky finger on her left hand was almost completely detached as well as one of her thumbs was almost completely detached. Um, It was only hanging on by a small flap of skin, um, her pinky, between her ring finger and her pinky finger, so she knew that it was going to have to be amputated. And she knew that the machete had lodged itself about halfway into her left hand, and she had extremely deep cuts to her forearm. But she was in and out of a state of shock at that point because she she had slid down the wall and was sitting on the floor. And in front of her were about five kindergartners, and they were sitting on the floor in front of her, holding hands, just looking at her as she laid in front of them. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Even though nothing was happening at all at that time, she could, all she could think about was the fact that he was still out there and the police hadn't arrived yet. Thankful- Wait, I'm confused. He's still out there? Meaning he's still sitting in the office. Like, he's he's not doing anything, but he's not, like, restrained. You know what I mean? He's not pinned? Well, he's sitting. Like, she, she subdued him, and she pinned him, and then she sat him in the chair, and then he was calm, and she was able to talk to him. And now he's kind of just sitting there. What the fuck? I didn't know. Exactly. That. Isn't that so weird? That's strange. Yeah, so she she's now, I mean, she's she lost so much blood during all of this, because she was attacked twice with a machete, and she has, like, multiple cuts, and her fingers are falling off kind of thing. And so once he's calm, she's finally able to like, you know, take care of herself a little bit. And she's now, she slides down the wall and she's sitting on the floor as they're waiting for the police. But the whole time she's trying to like, I guess, stay conscious, but also she's very concerned that this man is still here, you know? Yeah. But thankfully Um, not. Yeah. I mean, if he's just sitting there, don't provoke him. (laughs) Yeah, of course. But thankfully not long after that, they, the police did get there and they did arrest him. The entire attack lasted about 20 minutes. Wow, that's pretty quick. Yeah. For all that to happen. It's quick, but also an eternity, you know? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, just a couple weeks, was it a couple weeks ago? Brie Leslie, that whole story happened in six minutes. Mm -hmm. That felt like forever. Yeah. That's insane. But there were three injured women, Principal Norena Benzel, teachers Linda Collier and Stacy Bailey. And they all had slash wounds, Norena's being the worst, but they were all taken to the hospital. And both Norena and Linda would end up needing surgery for their injuries. However, Stacy Bailey had minor injuries and was expected to be treated and released. Five of the kindergartners were injured, but not severely. Four of them, all being five years old, were taken to York Hospital and released not long after they were admitted. And the fifth child was taken by her mother to a doctor's office, which is like kind of... A doctor's office? Her doctor, like her pediatrician. I mean, I guess that's the person you trust the most, but I just, I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like I would take my kid to a hospital, but I mean, if if they're responsive and... Yeah, I mean, they didn't have severe injuries. They were just kind of like nicks and bruises. That's just interesting. Mm -hmm. But I just thought that was like sad, you know, kind of just picturing a little five-year-old just like having to go to their doctor's office because they were attacked with a machete. Like, huh? Yeah. Five years old. Horrific. The elementary school had approximately 320 students and 50 faculty members. And after the events that took place that morning, they were all sent home and school officials canceled classes scheduled for the following Monday to have a meeting with all of the parents. Yeah, no shit. Scheduled. Figure out what's happening here. Canceled for machete attack. Yeah. Not a happy cancellation. No. But yeah, I'm really glad all the kids were okay and yeah. the, all the teachers were okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, all except the three of them, but I mean, still they were, they weren't killed, so. They weren't killed. They still survived. Mm-hmm. I feel like the lesson of that is just don't fuck with Norena's kids. Yeah. Norena Benzel does not fuck around. Police had no idea what the motive for this attack could have been because this was just chaotic evil, you know? They were like, who, why is this man here? And what is his connection to this yeah. school? And what the fuck? That's exactly what we're all thinking. Mm-hmm. We're like, why? Well, then let's talk about William Michael Stankiewicz. That's his name. Yeah, I'm honestly not surprised. We just call him Stanky for Stank. short because we're gonna call him Stank. Stank, sure. William Stank was a 56-year-old former history teacher and ex-convict, and was living about 400 miles away from Winterstown at the time with his mother in Johnson City, Tennessee. He had once lived in the area with his ex-wife Larissa Montgomery and her children, but after their divorce six years prior, he had left the area. He did plead guilty to multiple counts of attempted homicide and aggravated assault for his machete attack on February 2nd that left three adults and 11 children injured at North Hopwell Winterstown Elementary School. While entering his pleas, he identified himself as a, quote, victim of a marriage fraud. He told Judge Cheryl Ann Dorney that his hatred for his Russian-born ex-wife, Larissa Montgomery, her attorney, Stephen Converse, and a local children and youth services caseworker led him from Johnson City through Baltimore and to Winterstown, where Larissa's children had once attended school. So they didn't even attend the school there at the time. So you're mad at your ex-wife and need to go harm children? He needed to, yeah apparently go to the school that his ex-wife's children once attended and harm the children there now to get and back at his ex-wife. he was a former teacher? Yeah, apparently. Make it make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He said, my state of mind drove me to that school. And he confirmed that he took four different medications to, quote, stabilize acute depression and anxiety and was treated for those problems two weeks before the attacks. Treated? 
sir. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's treated. an interesting uh, choice of words there. Treated, and you did that? For medications. For depression and anxiety. What was he like? Popping Xanax and Coke? Like, what's the deal here? I don't know. Like, what medications were you on that led you to that, sir? Don't know. Jesus Christ. He added that if he were in the same mental state, he said, I would do it again. And I'd do it again. Okay. So, lack of remorse. Yeah. Okay. He needs to go away for the Ever. rest of his life. Yeah. Forever. He said, I had no choice. I had no free will. No choice. I wish I could have found Larissa. If I knew where Larissa lived, I wouldn't have gone to Winterstown. Can I, I just want to know, what did Larissa do? <laughs> like, and I, I don't mean that like, I think it was her fault. I'm saying like, she, well, yeah, she, she must have done a number on him. I don't know. Did she just take custody of the kids? I think they were her kids. I don't think they were his. I think she just married her and she had kids. I don't think it has anything to do with the kids. I think it has to do with the fact that he's trying to get back at his wife in some weird, twisted way. Yeah, this continues to make less sense. Mm-hmm. While Stank talked, parents, along with the principal and teachers injured in the attack, listened to him in court, and some held hands, others nervously chewed gum. He returned to York County to seek justice against his ex-wife. He's still trying to, quote-unquote, seek justice against his ex-wife what is happening it's a strange definition of justice yeah he says my life was hijacked by york county i was going to hurt york county for hurting me it was an emotional relief when i decided to come to york county it was like a thousand pounds were lifted off my back i was going to find peace you found peace by going into an elementary school and hurting five-year-olds huh okay and he did admit that the causing the school children pain caused him no grief. And he said they became victims by proxy. And then he said, if that, if that is not rational, understand that it was rational for me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> rational definition changes for you. Uh-huh. All right. And then he said, I'd rather go to hell than repeat the mental anguish he suffered during the six years he had battled his ex-wife. Wow, <laughs> She, he's really building her up to be this, like, super villain. villain. I'm like, <laughs> she couldn't have done anything that bad. No, I like, I bet she was I a just, lovely woman. Yeah, I know. She, she just, like, yeah, I mean, this isn't working out. Yeah. Like, that was it. Yeah, I bet she was, like, a normal person who was, like, concerned like, for the safety of her children and yeah. got away from a terrifying man. Yeah, and or then it was he like, broke. you know, hey, can you put the toilet seat up? Hey, um, can you Like, you just... keep doing this. I actually don't think this is going to work. Um, sorry. No hard feelings, though. And he's like, Larissa! I mean, but that happened over six years? I don't know. I mean, we don't know what happened. It could have been terrible. Who knows? But nothing could be ever as, yeah. like, as terrible to warrant something like this. So that's why I'm making fun of him, because he sucks. But I, I bet she was fine, you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> like... And the judge observed that Stankiewicz's complete dis disregard for the strangers he attacked at the school reminded her of the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Oh, I forgot mm -hmm. that this happened really close. What month in 2001? February. Oh, this is fresh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of the articles that I got my information from are from like, you know, I think the most recent article I could find was from like 2011. So it's, yeah, it's, old. it's an old story, but... Another quote from him, which is, they're just really fun to read, apparently. He said, one man's terror is another man's justice. 
Did I get my justice? Perhaps because I feel better. And he said he did not intend to kill or hurt anyone at the school, although he realized at the time that either could happen. Okay, you didn't intend to? So it's like jumping into a pool and saying you didn't mean to get wet. He's like, oh, I, I didn't mean to kill anyone, but like, I knew it could happen. Okay, you didn't think huh? that slashing people with a machete would kill anyone? It's a school. You went into a school. What are you talking about? You're a lunatic. Yeah. Ah. Very rational. If you don't understand his view. his yeah. uh, perspective, you just and, yeah, you just need to understand where he's coming from, okay? Right. And the closest he came to an apology was claiming prior unsuccessful attempts to take his own life. He said, I apologize to the people in your county that I did not commit suicide. If I had, we wouldn't be here today. But then he said, between my actions and medications, I feel better than I did in six years. So that's a plus for me. This apparently wow. is better to him than his six years with Wow, Jesus Christ. He also tried to kill himself. Apparently. Like multiple, to- yeah. multiple times. Yeah. But that I was mean, the closest he got to an apology for any for anything he did. Yeah, dude, you need um, You, need, to you need some major help. Seri- yeah, I mean, that's clearly just straight up mental illness. Yeah. Stankowitz pled guilty to two counts of attempted murder and four counts of aggravated assault on school principal Norina E. Benzel, the teachers, and he pled guilty to one count of aggra- uh, aggravated assault to Stacy Bailey, and he entered a guilty plea to 11 counts of aggravated assault on the school children and also pled guilty to possession of a weapon on school property. Stanky entered his pleas with no agreement as to sentencing. Although his eyes did widen when the judge advised him that he faced 360 years in state prison if all of the sentences for the 18 felonies and one misdemeanor were served concurrently. So he he didn't realize that it was going to be that much. And ultimately, he was sentenced to 264 years in prison. Oh, they cut him a deal. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he's going to be there forever, but... It'd be a hell of a run if he made it. Yeah, I would say so. He'd be pretty fucking old. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty old. 23 five and six year old children were chased around their kindergarten classroom by a man with a very big knife. And at first, Narina couldn't even begin to fathom how they'd get through something like that. When she was put on the stretcher and they were about to wheel her out of the school, she recalls a very strong sense of peace. She remembered thinking, we're going to be okay and we're going to get through this somehow. She said to get back to her school was one of the hardest things that she's ever had to do in her life. She lost 50% of her blood that day at school. Her physical injuries took more than two years to rehabilitate. She had to go through extensive reconstructive hand surgery and surgeons had to reattach two severed fingers and a partially amputated thumb. They placed a titanium plate in her shattered wrist and attempted to restore severed tendons and nerves in her hands and therapists worked to help her regain dexterity. So intense stuff. But But she did make a full recovery? I mean, I'm sure she lives with some sort of, like, not complications, but, like, pain or stiffness or something. There's something with the nerves Yeah, but she, she, you know, made it through the surgery and is, you know, living a full life, so. That's awesome. Yeah, and she did end up going back to her school, and she said once she got back in there, she knew that there was no place that she would rather be. She was able to settle into her old routines and sought to restore a sense of normalcy. She even relearned to play the saxophone and type despite her limited use of several fingers. Hell yeah. Yeah. She wanted to stay there as long as she could because she felt like she needed to be there for the children and for the adults. And she loved her job. 
When looking back on that day, she believed that her phone call to her son Joshua that morning was fate because had she gone to the cafeteria that morning, all the noise around her would have drowned out any screams when the attack began. Wow. Yeah, that is... Shit just happens for a reason. You yeah. Mm-hmm. And for a while, she struggled with the question of why me? Why my school? Why these kids? And considered whether God was punishing her for something she had done. But after some time and some prayer, she determined that she could forgive Stankiewicz for what he had done to her. At first, she wasn't so sure about forgiving him for what he had done to the children, but that changed for her when news broke of a man who had barricaded himself in an Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Lancaster County. Charles Roberts shot 10 girls, murdering five of them, and then killed himself. And Norina was horrified but then amazed when the following day, the Amish went to the killer's family to express their forgiveness. Whoa. She said, I made the decision after that, if they could do it, it should be easy for me. So she tried to contact Stankiewicz through a state meditation program for victims of crime, and she wanted him to know of her forgiveness. And the process took three years, but in March of 2009, a letter from Norina was delivered to Stankiewicz at the state prison in Fayette County in Pittsburgh. In her letter, she told him that she still doesn't understand his actions and explained the hardships that he caused in her life. She said, after your brutal attack on me two times, I wrapped my arms around you to comfort you. So you see, even though we didn't know each other at all and you tried to kill me, I could still comfort you. She also posed several questions, including a plea for the details about the store where Stankiewicz tried unsuccessfully to buy a gun on the drive from his home in Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, she said if she knew the name of that store, she would go there and thank the clerk who ran the background check on Stankiewicz that day and declined his purchase. She said because of that clerk's actions that day, there are still 350 some children walking this earth. And because of the clerk's actions that day, there are 56 adults who are still teaching children or are moms or dads or grandparents now. And because he didn't give that man an opportunity to buy a gun, I'm talking to you today meaning the interviewer. Wow, I I respect the hell out of her yeah. for doing that. And I guess the unsung hero of this is the clerk who didn't sell him yeah. the gun, really. I mean, just amazing. Like, <laughs> I don't think this is this could be a better case for gun control. Yeah, it's literally. Like story. Yeah, unfortunately, Stankiewicz refused to read the letter from Norina. He refused to read it. Yeah, she asked for the letter to be read to him, but she was told that it wasn't a good idea. And he said, I will never read it. I was told it was nice. I don't care about her life, her thoughts, her emotions. I don't know her. She is meaningless to me as a human being. Which clearly you demonstrated when you went in there and attempted to fucking kill her. You yeah, but lunatic. then you were, I don't know, he was making all this stuff up about like... I was on drugs and this is why I did it. Clearly you're not. No, you're just you're, crazy. You're just <laughs> a shitty person. Yeah. All of the time. Mm -hmm. You can't even read this letter. Yeah. She's forgiving you mm -hmm. for the most, one of the most Heinous. horrific acts yeah. we've ever told on this podcast. Like really, I mean, it's, it's up there, but yeah. What the fuck, dude? I know. It's just disappointing. Yeah. I am mad. I'm mad and I, I was just about to say that. <laughs> I stole I'm mad your line. And disappointed. I stole your line. 
<laughs> I am also mad and disappointed. Um, and of the 23 kindergartners in the class Stankowitz terrorized, 16 were still in the Red Lion area district as of 2011 when the article that I got the information from was written. And Norina made it a mission to keep in touch with them. She would write letters to each one every year and she would tell them how she was following their progress in sports and music and academic honors. And she offered to meet them for lunch if they ever wanted to talk and some would respond and some didn't. And as of 2011, she would plan an open house at her home in West, Manche West Manchester Township around the anniversary of the attack every year. And the gathering had become a tradition. I'm not sure if it happens to this day, because again, this was written in 2011, but at the time it was a tradition. And she said, it's not only for the people who were there that day, it's also for my staff now, because that event is part of who we are as a school. And she feels a very strong bond with the school and her community and hopes to someday retire from North Hopwell, Winterstown, which was a place she had once feared she could never go to again. But again, that was an article from a couple years ago, so I'm sure that she's retired and living it up and living her best. Yeah, I hope so. She gets, uh, she deserves, <laughs> she fucking deserves that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just again, I really respect the hell out of her. Absolutely. Um, the teachers who fought back against him are just, I don't know, the definition of badass women. And like, yeah, I can't even imagine the immense gratitude I would feel as a parent towards them. Mm hmm. Because they really did, you know, just like immediately, you know, lock the children in the bathroom, yeah. like the children first, get in between him and the children. And like that was their priority. And then they took him down. And mm -hmm. then this like weird, he just fucking sat there. But, you know. Yeah. Very weird. They took him down. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And she said that she survived because of her maternal instinct. Yeah. But I actually have a comment from the YouTube video of the I Survived episode, which is where I watched the I Survived episode. And the comment was, I'm not going to say who it was from because I don't know if they want to be shared on the podcast, but they said, Miss Norena was my principal many, many years ago. I attended that elementary school and was present during the attack. Most of the school was locked inside the gymnasium, having no idea what was transpiring. I remember my mom picking me up outside the school after hours had passed. No one had any idea what had occurred. Many young kids were attacked, kids that I knew. My kindergarten teacher was injured too. I vividly remember how confused I was at the situation. Norina has been my hero for over 20 years. Amazing. That is the story of Norina Benzel. Yeah, wow. Pretty crazy. <laughs> what were the names of the other two teachers that um, also kind of helped subdue him and also got slashed to bits? Linda Collier mm. was another teacher and Stacy Bailey. Yeah, those three are heroes. Yeah, absolutely. And that is their story. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I, I did. I enjoyed doing the research for that one. That one was... Yeah, this is a really good story. Um, but anyway, what is your good thing? Tell us about it, stud. Yeah. Um, this week Ew. I bought a car. Yeah, stud. I won't say that again. Um, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, this week I bought a car. Hell um, yeah. So I got a nice new Ford car. Um, been saving up for it for a long time. And nice little escape. Yeah. A little electric. <laughs> it's uh, it's partially electric. Um, Very exciting. But yeah, I was, I was so pumped. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm like, oh my God, like I don't have to walk to the grocery store anymore because I've just been, <laughs> I've been not having a car just because it's cheaper. And like I can go drive myself to the beach yep. on a weekend. It's like, oh. It's cool. Not have to pay like seventy dollars to go anywhere for an Uber. Yeah. For an Uber. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really pumped about that. That's a big win. I love that. Big win. 
My good thing is a little less exciting, but still very exciting for me. Um, we went to a Mezcal bar today. And if you don't know what Mezcal is, if you like tequila, check out Mezcal. I cannot speak highly enough about it. It is so good. It's like tequila's like smoky sister. Um, <laughs> she's everything to me. Um, so yes. it was, there was like a hundred bottles of Mezcal on the wall and I, I didn't even know what to do with myself. I was so excited. So yeah, I was very happy with my lunch today. So it was good. It was so fucking good. Um, we had tacos. The tacos were Hell yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a whiskey guy, but I did try a little bit of the Mezcal and it was good. Yeah. It was like sweet, finished smoky. Mm-hmm. But like, I always say that Mezcal is to tequila what uh, scotch is to whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's just smoky. Yes. Thank you so for coming tr- to our, our bartending podcast. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, margarita, one part slime. Yes. Anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to write in your ghost stories. We want them. Spooky, please. Please. Give me the spooky. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram and check out all the pictures we post for all the stories we talk about, check us out at nottoday underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story that you'd like to share with us, including ghost stories, send us send it to us at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Twitter that is notodaypodcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. We have a TikTok that is notodaypodcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.